We're going to get going this morning. Got a few things to tackle this morning real quick before we get started. Um, it is, it, we literally, I think this is, this is graduation number eight or nine for me of watching students graduate. Um, one of the things I saw um, the other day was a memo that I had written. It's, it's funny what um, you see when you're, uh, when you're thinking about these things. It was, a, it was kind of a note that I had written to, my, um, to myself. And one of the things that it had said was, um, I, I, uh, this was like a graduation like note for myself, just something that I remembered for graduation. When I graduated, here's what I remember. I, I don't remember any of it. I don't remember walking on the stage. I don't remember them saying, hey, you graduated. I don't remember celebrating by throwing up the hat thing in the air. I don't remember wearing the gown. I don't remember any of it. But you know what I do remember in life? That I do think that it's had like surpassed those things. That I erased that memory to include memories of having kids, to include memories of being married, chasing my wife all over God's country. Um, and I remember writing to myself to tell uh, those who graduate, the adventure has just begun. It might seem like a big moment now, but the awesome thing about life is that you have a lot of time in front of you where you get to make memories so great that they would eclipse what seems so great right now. Isn't that awesome about that whole idea? Like there's some things that we've just literally cut loose. We've cut loose to those memories. They were awesome memories at one time for us, but... Man, the Lord has given us better ones. And so literally our brain has decided, you know what? It's not as valuable as this one. I'm going to replace it with the birth of your kids. I'm going to replace it with your marriage. I'm going to replace those days. And what a wonderful gift that is. So my encouragement to those who have graduated are one that we have over here sitting in the corner over here. That's right. Everybody's staring at him right now as he's drinking his coffee. He's not even paying attention. He knows. He's trying to ignore it. Don't lie. Yeah. This is what I have to put up with. I've known him forever now. Uh, what are you, two years younger than Tyler? Two and a half. So when I had Tyler in sixth grade, Tanner was in fourth. And, and uh, so I've known him a long time, okay? I've known him a, a long time. Come on up. I'm going to embarrass you. I think that red hair already did it for yourself, but you know what? If I can add a little bit more to it, let it be my parting gift. The... I've known Tanner a long time, and honestly, the, the interesting thing, if anybody was going to like make me pull my hair out earlier, definitely it was going to be him and not Tyler. Um, <laughs> welcome to that truth, and you know it. <laughs> so I worked, uh, uh, I think, on Tanner a lot. I mean, like I, like, uh, I treated him how I treated my brothers, which is a whole lot meaner than Tyler has ever treated him. I promise you that. And uh, gave him a hard time for every cheese that he ever ate, uh, uh, every junk food that guy has ever eaten, and tried to get him to eat other things other than Cheez Its, which I think is the only thing he eats still. I'm not quite sure. Um, but um, I, I've gone through a lot. I've watched him grow up, and uh, uh, it's, it's interesting to me how much different uh, Tyler and Tanner are. So uh, I think they're both awesome in their own right. Uh, and, and it's, been, it's been my joy. One of the things that uh, um, I have done over the years to kids that I have pastored uh, uh, growing up is uh, it started a long time ago, and it really came to me 
as a leadership lesson, and uh, I'll, I'll kind of set it up before we get into the scripture, but the, uh, the, the setup was that John the Baptist was uh, a pretty much a loner, but it's not necessarily true. He had a couple of disciples that followed him around. We know who they are. They are Andrew, the, the brother of Peter, and they're John, the apostle. Uh, these guys didn't start off by following Jesus. They started off by following John the Baptist. And when what had happened is one day Jesus comes by and John says, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And, and what happens is they, he points him. See, that's Jesus right there. That's who he is. And then there's this whole intermittent part where the day goes on. Uh, they still stay with John. But then the scripture comes uh, back up and uh, the next day is where it picks back up. It says, the following day, John was again standing with two of his disciples. As Jesus walked by, John looked at him and declared. So it's happening a second time. John's disciples are there. We know who they are. He, and John says this, look, there is the Lamb of God. When John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. Jesus looked around and saw them following and says, I love it. What do you want? They replied, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Jesus says, come and see. There comes a point in all of ministry, in all of life, parents, you already know this, where we point them in the direction they're supposed to go, and then we release them. It's not easy. First of all, I think it's, it might have been easier for me as a parent Mainly because I had to live with him for twenty, you know, for eighteen years, right? But, but the other side of that, I think, as a as a guy in ministry, where these people who follow you are so loyal to you, and they're not your family, it's even harder to give those guys up. I remember my mentor telling me, "All right, I'm, I'm helping you out by giving you an interview in Moral Falls, and all I can think is, dude, we're breaking up the dream team." You know, and how hard it was to let go. But one of the things he had said to me was great. He says, "Brother, if I don't let you go, how will you ever know?" How will you ever know what you're made of? How will you ever know what kind of fire you got? How, how will you ever know what God really wants for you individually? Right? And then there's this time where John the Baptist, he's got two guys. Guys, that's it. <laughs> we know he's about to end up in prison. It'd probably help to have at least a couple of friends with you. Right? But no, John says, behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. And then they left him, and John didn't say anything. There comes a time in ministry where we let people go. And we give them to Christ. And we say, man, here's the teacher. He's the Lamb of God, not me. It's time you follow him. Tanner, behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. I've taught you everything I could teach you. Tried to set you up for success the best I could. <laughs> I now give you into the hands of Jesus. We're always going to be a support system and we're always going to be here but now it's time that you walk with the master alone. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for this young man. Lord, and all those who graduated, God, Lord, we give them to you now, God. You said raise them up in the way they should go. Well, we have done it. We've done it. Lord, recall unto him the things that he's learned over the years when he needs them the most. When it's the darkest, Lord, shine in his heart. Lord, be light. Be light within him. Show him mercy. Show him love. Show him grace. In Jesus' name, amen.
as a as a gift from our church, we 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 give out Bibles for graduation, and this one has your name on it. Look at that. I'm going to expect you to read it. Front, front to back. <laughs> you don't start in the back and read forward. It go the other way. Either way. Thank you. Thank you. Amen. Awesome, right? Awesome moment. Praise God. Praise God. I'm going to set this aside. I do not need it. <clears throat> it's hard every time. Hard every time. Got to the graduation and, and talking about how things go full circle. I've been talking a lot with Pastor Michael over here, Coach Michael. Um, I saw McKenna. Some of you know who McKenna is. McKenna, I pastored for a long time as a young girl. So her brother is graduating, which I've known him for since he was little, little. And, um, well, yeah, since, yeah. And, you know, McKenna has a baby now. These kids, they grow up. They just grow up and they get lives. I was so happy for her. Seeing her child, her child was happy. Praise God. You know, just, just so happy for him. Well, we're going to be back in the book of Mark, uh, chapter 10. Uh, we're back there studying uh, the life and following of Jesus Christ. And I just, while you're turning there, I'm just going to kind of set it up a little bit. I, I, I want you to know that we study the life of Jesus in the hopes that we may draw more closely to him. And if you don't know it, that's my only goal. I just want to draw closer to Jesus. I just want to draw uh, to be more intimate with him. And, and if I haven't said it's enough, then I'm sorry. But my intention, I believe my calling in life, my passion in life is to return to Jesus, is to always be facing Jesus, always be heading towards Jesus. Uh, I, I'm not sure how return is always done. I think it's a life. It's a process. Um, I, I, I've, I've never seen it kind of done before. We're figuring it out together. Uh, however, one thing is for sure, I think you hit the bullseye by aiming at it. I think that's the, uh, maybe the Marine part in me that just understands that, but I'm going to aim at Jesus and hope that I hit Jesus, and that's, that's kind of as simple as I can make it. Uh, I'm going to return, or as the New Testament say, I just want to learn how to walk in uh, repentance. Um, the neat thing, the literal definition for repentance is to turn 180. It's to say that you're heading or admitting that you're heading in a direction that's opposite of God, but now you're turning around and returning back from the place you came from. That's our goal. That's our vision here at Mosaic. We're a people set on returning, walking back towards God and really living in repentance. <clears throat> and uh, the, I, the idea or the belief is that we will advance the gospel this way by becoming close to him or by being intimate with him that we will draw close so what we do today and really every time we get a chance to open our bibles is we move closer we move closer to jesus every time we open our bible every time we read his word the lips the words that come out of his lips we draw closer to him and that's the whole point that's the whole point if we are the bride and jesus is the groom uh, guys, we're all adults here. You know how babies are made. There are no newborns without intimacy. We, we don't grow without intimacy with Christ. All right? We're not going to be a cemetery full of a bunch of dead people. We're not going to grow that way. All right? We're going to grow through intimacy, through closeness with Jesus. So grab your Bibles this morning. We're turning into chapter 10. We're going to be begin around verse 17. Verse 17. And if you think I'm skipping a little bit, don't worry, I'm going to come back a little bit. So 
<clears throat> and we'll read from verse 17, I think, down to verse 31. Are we ready? Say amen. 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 All right. As Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There's still one thing you haven't done, he told them. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, at this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad, for he had many possessions. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. This amazed them. But Jesus said again, Dear children, it's very hard to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were astounded. Then who in the world can be saved, they asked. Jesus looked at them intently and said, Humanly speaking, it's impossible. But not with God. Everything is possible with God. Then Peter began to speak up. We've given up everything to follow you, he said. Yes, Jesus replied, and I assure you that everyone who has given up house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or property for my sake and for the good news will receive now in return a hundred times as many houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and property, along with persecution. And in the world to come, that person will have eternal life. But many who are the greatest now will be the least important then. And those who seem least important now will be the greatest then. So there's a lot to unpack here. There's a lot of scripture, I know. But we're going to try to simplify it and make it as easy as possible. There is a depressing fact that lies in the heart of this young, wealthy man. Now, it's cloaked in a general or a genuinely good intention. So on that the surface, the question seems really like a pretty good question. It seems harmless, but it's actually, it actually reveals the sinful nature that's happening on the inside. The thing that Jesus sees, basically. And, and this, this young man, he doesn't approach Jesus. He didn't approach Jesus as Jesus is the way or that Jesus is the life or, uh, 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 or that, uh, that Jesus is some kind of door. He doesn't approach Jesus this way. Rather, he asked Jesus a simple question. What must I do to have eternal life. Now, this is how most people approach Christianity. Most, most people think that through a series of physical or behavioral changes that they can just, uh, you know, be accepted through these things. Jesus sees that this is what the young man is asking, that it's a physical thing he's asking about. This is a behavioral thing that he's asking about. So Jesus gives him the line that he really wants to hear, really, which is, you must not murder, you must not commit adultery, you must not steal, you must not testify falsely, you must not cheat anyone, honor your father and your mother. So if you want a list, Jesus can give you a list. 
If you need things to behaviorally change yourself, there's plenty of lists in the Bible, plenty of laws, plenty of commands. If what you think or what you believe is that what you do is what's going to matter. So this is what this guy, what can I do? What can I physically do to inherit eternal life? Well, that's kind of a loaded question. That's not really a proper question is the way Jesus sees that. But since what you really want is just to behaviorally change yourself or to produce good works and think that's what's going to get you, then here's your list. And now we know that this isn't the right answer, right? We can armchair quarterback this whole thing because we have the fullness of Scripture to our disposal. And we know without a doubt that this isn't the way to eternal life. It's not what you do. It's what Jesus has done. Amen? So we, we know this. We can look to uh, the Paul the Apostles. Uh, for instance, it's a heavy scripture, but when you get into Romans uh, chapter 7, Paul said this. He said, it was the law that showed me my sin. Paul said, I, I, I would have never known that coveting is wrong if the law had not said you must not covet. But sin used this all kinds of covetous desires within me. If there were no law, sin would not have that power. At one time, I lived without understanding the law, but when I learned the command not to covet, for instance, the power of sin came to life and I died. So I discovered that the law's commands, which were supposed to bring life, brought spiritual death instead. Sin took advantage of those commands and and deceived me. It used the commands to kill me, but still the law itself is holy. It commands are holy and right and good. Paul sees it for what it is. Paul knows there's nothing I can do. It, the law was killing me. If anything, the law was showing me how bad I am. This is Paul's drumbeat mostly throughout all his theology. He is a man who loves the law, but the law revealed death within him. It revealed the sin within him. Maybe this is why Jesus gave us this answer to the young man. And by the way, he wasn't satisfied, was he? It wasn't enough. Well, I told you what to do. Why, why, are, you, why, are, we, why are we still in this conversation? He didn't pause and go, well, you know, that's great. That's awesome because, look, I've done all these things, right? No, he pressed into Jesus more because deep down how he behaved, what he was doing, it, it didn't bring him any comfort. He had behaved, <clears throat> excuse me, he had behaved well since birth. And praise God, amen? Who doesn't want a kid who, who like doesn't behave, right? I mean, like, we want our kids to behave from birth. We're like, that's a good kid. Everybody else tells you, that's a good kid. It's a good thing. But good behavior, while it will, listen to me, young ones, while it will give you an easier life, it does not grant you eternal life. In, uh, in the young man's eagerness, he pushes forward with another question. Now, Mark's gospel account doesn't provide this, but luckily for us, is this actual account is found in all the synoptic gospels. So it's, it's there in Luke's. It's there in Matthew. It's there in Mark. And in Matthew's gospel, in chapter 19, verse 20, it reveals the young man's actual response to this whole thing when Jesus says it. He actually says back to Jesus, I've obeyed all these commandments. What else must I do? Well, it's not enough. Was it not enough? How, how do you know if it's not enough? If you've done all the commandments, then what else is there? Why do you feel this longing for something more? You know, I, I think this young man's a picture of all of us. I, I struggle thinking that if we somehow mind the rules better, 
that if we somehow can just act better or behave better, then we'll somehow have earned our way into eternal life. Knowing what we know about Christianity, we know this is foolish, for it's by grace alone that you were saved. Not of any of your works, right? And maybe this is why Christ felt a genuine love for this young man. He could see him trying to work it out. Hey, I've, I've done all these things. What else? What else? But Jesus could also see what was holding this young man back. And it's in love now that Jesus is going to say what he's going to say. It's in love when he says it. You know, I love Mark because Mark gives us this, this moment where it says, and Jesus gen, you know, genuinely loved the man. He, 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 he loved him listening to his response. He knows that he's here seeking. But now because he's like, I've done these things, what else? All right. So if you, these things might be the easy things for you, but now it's time where we're going to have to, I'm going to have to like pull something else from you. And, and I'm going to have to approach you. Jesus said, there's still one thing you haven't done. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then he's, Jesus says, then come and follow me. Now, is Jesus telling everyone to give up their money and all their possessions? No. That's not what this story is about. That's not what this story is about. This is pointed directly at the young man and dealing with what's going on inside of him. What Jesus is really doing is revealing the very thing that is holding this young man back. The very thing that has become the idol before God in his life. And no one sees it but Jesus. The disciples don't see it because they don't even understand what's going on. For all purposes, this is an exceptional young man who is obviously well behaved. I mean, no one's doubting that. And yet there's some kind of ironic hidden truth here. The scripture says that the young man's face and heart was sad for he had many possessions. And yet I would say that he possessed nothing. Rather, his possessions possessed him. That's what I would say. If giving up his possessions laid between him and following Jesus, then there was never going to be a following Jesus. That was his line. That was this young man's line. The question we walk away from that really is this, and it's one that only you can know the answer to. What is your line? What is it between you and Jesus that is keeping you from being all in. What's, what's keeping you from being all in? I, I, I won't know what that is. I mean, I'm not Jesus. I can't point it, that to each individual and go, it's this in your life. Like Jesus pointed him and goes, it's your possessions. And he knew it. He like knew how to attack the heart surgically. He knew right where to go to draw that line. Well, when this is solved with you, when, when all other things can be abandoned, thank you. <clears throat> when all other things can be abandoned, then you can willfully come to Christ. But if something is keeping you, are you you possessing it or does it possess you? I can't know it that only Jesus can. I can promise you this, however. You will never truly be free until you can fully follow Jesus. And make no mistake, there's no way you are ever going to walk with Jesus without him wanting all of your heart. 
The things that own your heart now, might have, they are temporal residents until God sees fit to rule that throne completely. Here's the difference. This is how Jesus works in that area. Totally off my notes. But you need to hear this. Jesus is a gentleman. He will never take what is rightfully his. He wants you to give it. And so he waits patiently. For some of you, it'll be fast. For some of you, it will take your whole life. He will weed all of it out. All of it. Because he wants all of it. You know why? He created it. It's his to begin with. We, as sinners, have placed all sorts of things on the throne of our hearts. And allowed them to sit there in his seat. But God is coming for those things. He's coming for it here. That's what he's trying to tell him. I want the place, that place where you've dropped that bag of money sitting on my seat. Take it off. If you talk about, if you really want eternal life, I'm asking now, can you take it off? And the guy walks away sad. No, I'm not doing that. If it's eternal life or my possessions, I'm choosing my possessions. I mean, I know this sounds tough. The disciples thought so too, remember? What is verse 29 or 26? It reads, the disciples were astounded. They were amazed. They couldn't believe, whoa, Jesus, what are you saying? And I'd expect no less from anyone who really reads this thing. I mean, I, actually, I expect Jesus wouldn't have made it very long in our current church structure before they probably would have released him from ministry. That's just the truth. You know it. He would have. Right? It's not the nature of the church or the pulpit to send young men away with lots of money. Hey, we've got this guy with lots of money in our church. Yeah, he's, we're having a hard time getting him saved. Uh, you know, he's got this issue with his money. He's very prideful about it. You know, it's the one thing that's holding him back. Well, don't be mean to him. That dude's a good tither. We don't usually send people like that away, man. And we definitely don't like, we usually give them leadership positions in the church, but that's a whole other deal. <laughs> Jesus turns, I mean, come on, because he is a good guy, right? It's not a bad guy. I mean, this guy, he, he does all the good things, right? I honor, he honors his father and mother. He doesn't steal. He doesn't cheat. doesn't lie. Guy's a pretty good business partner. He's just not completely sold out to Jesus. This is a very different scripture. Jesus turns this whole thing into like this learning moment, like he does everything in life. He tells them first that it's extremely hard for those who have everything they need to come to him, to have that it's hard for them to come to this dependence upon God when all their needs are met. He actually says, and, and I will quote him, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And you can go up looking at all the theological, the gates that was called the eye of the needle. Let's just take it point blank. Can I tell you something? It's not impossible to get a camel through a needle. What I will tell you, it might not look like a camel anymore. Just saying. Money isn't necessarily a bad thing. But listen, it's not your source. Money does not make mosaic turn. God does. Money is not the currency, listen, that pays your bills. Faith is. Faith is. Faith in the one who is your father, who provides for you the finances by which you do pay. He provided you the job. He opened doors so that you could have your job. So that you could get the finances you have. Your faith in God is what drives everything. Faith is the currency of heaven. And if you don't see that, then you're already struggling on the relational side of knowing exactly who God is and how big he really is. 
And ironically, this sounds so tough to swallow, but it was just early in the same day that Jesus was addressing the whole requirement for eternal life that absolutely really captures everything he was trying to convey here. If you look up all just in verse 15 right there where you're sitting, if you still got your Bibles out, Mark 10 verse 15 says this, I tell you the truth, anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. Never. You receive the kingdom of God like a child. You bring nothing because you have nothing. Everything you have is provided to you from your parents. In this case, it's God the Father. You have nothing. You own nothing. You bring nothing. You can do nothing. You have to step forward completely humble. You're like a child, so you're ignorant. You really don't know what you're doing. You don't know what you're saying. You're, you're, you're just granted in through grace and mercy. You're just grafted in sheerly out of paternal blood. And in this case, that's the atoning blood of Jesus Christ. You bring nothing. You, your child. God thinks you're cute. That's it. Like, look at you. I'm going to have to take care of you forever. Like a 30-year-old man, I'm still taking care of you up here. Right? God loves it. This, this wealthy young man, he's not any different. He's going to have to come like a child. Yeah, yeah, he's a good man. But that doesn't make you a saved man. You, I, I know a ton of men that I've like this. I, I, there's a guy that I, when I drove records, one of the best bosses I've ever had. And I emulate a lot of the things he did as a boss. Uh, like when I'm at work and things like that. Can I tell you, he's an unsaved man though outstanding business individual, great-hearted man, but not a safe man. Not a safe man. You can be good and not be saved. Matt Chandler, the pastor of the Village Church in North Texas, he gives us like this other perspective, but yet it's like from the same vantage point uh, from what we've taken today. Listen to what he said. It's, it's really good. He says, the question that the rich young ruler actually asks is not what must I do to be saved. The question he really is asking is what behavioral modifications must I make to put you into my debt, to make you do for me what I want you to do. Sound familiar? I believe that the bulk of the American evangelism is built on this idea that my behavior makes God owe me and that what saves me is my works. The rich young ruler fails to understand what many of us fail to understand, that Christianity is not a religion. The mantra of religion is, I obey, therefore I am accepted. The scriptures, however, teach against this idea constantly. The message we usually hear from the pulpit is, repent of your wickedness. Stop sleeping around, doing drugs, partying. And I would agree that these things are sinful and need to be repented of, but that's not the message of Mark 10, he says. Instead of calling out the overtly wicked, Jesus says this, you good husbands, you good fathers, you small group leading, church going, morally righteous men and women, you repent. Trying to earn your salvation through good works is just as God-belittling, cross-mocking wickedness as anything on the pagan dark side of the fence. We tell ourselves, I'm a better man than my father was. I'm a good husband. I'm a good dad. I'm a good wife. I'm a good mother. I'm a hard worker. I'm involved in the church. Jesus says this, repent. That does not save you. That does not justify you. Powerful words. How do we... How do we get here? How do we arrive here? How do we get from humbled beginnings when we, when we first declared that we were sinners and 
you know, we came to God and we were humbled and we were really beggars, kind of stripped down to that place where uh, uh, we, we, we were honest, like, God, I have nothing. I know nothing. Because there's no way you could come to salvation any other way. How do we get from there to like once we start, uh, 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 once God through the Holy Spirit begins to do some works in our life and, and some changes start to take place, when does that pride start to seep back in? And we, we're like, we, we fall back into this trap that good works somehow justify not only our eternal life, but also our physical life, right? I've seen it a lot in the church. We allow good works to give us a sense of superiority over those who are just not exactly in their walk like maybe we are. Well, I've been saved for 20 years. That's why I'm the way I am. God loves you no more than he does this begging sinner. It's living on the street corner. God gives all of of himself to you at salvation. Do you know that? All of himself to you at salvation. You will spend the rest of your life mining what Jesus has already given to you. There is nothing you can do that's going to make him give more of himself to you. You already have all. All. If we're lucky, we will spend our, our days mining the all of Jesus. I remember, uh, I, I, don't, I don't, it's strange to me how we get here, but it's, it's not uncommon. I mean, let's just use common sense. Right? I remember reading a book by Brendan Manning where he describes how he first fell into the trap of good works, somehow equaling intimacy with Christ or closeness with God. He describes like a familiar scene like with all of us. He talks about being young, about doing something good, about being rewarded for that good from his mom. Sound familiar? We all do it with our kids. I did it too. It was quick lesson that when he did some things that were good, good grades, good behavior, or did his chores well, his mother would show him even greater affection. So if I do more, I'm loved more. And when I do bad, I'm loved less. That's, that's kind of how we grow up, kind of thinking that works, right? And the same held true for when he did bad, right? So this system early on in his life created this difficult divide between him and the God who says, I love you just like you are. Because God is not like the earthly parent that we're used to. Look, when we do good, we get the attaboy. And when we do bad, and they're like, well, you should have prayed about it. You should have done this about it. You should have done this. You know, the great thing about God is when I have failed, God has often said, I love you. You know what, what has changed me more often than anything else is never God yelling at me. It's always God being nice to me. It's always God speaking a word of encouragement when I'm at my worst. I'm like, God, I'm at my worst. You obviously are not omnipresent because if you'd have saw it, you'd have been disappointed too. And, he's, and God will say crazy stuff like, well, no, you're my warrior. You are my Spartan. We will see this thing through to the end. This ain't over. This is still just beginning. And, and I'm like, God, are we going through the same life? Like, am I just like on somebody else's telephone? Do I hear you talking to somebody else's? What's going on? Because there's no way you saw that with me. I mean, I, I am failing you. Like, failing? I don't fail. Yeah, well, I do. Not in me, you do. Not in me. Your failures become my successes. Your weakness becomes my strength. Right? Well, what about all the times the devil's doing all these things? Yeah, 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 we'll deal with that. I'm going to turn all the things he's doing into goodness. My glory will be seen in all of it. You worry too much. That's what God tells me. You worry too much. Like, well, I'm human. This, this, is, this is good. It's good for this. 
we're all taught the same thing. We're all grown up like this. This, this divide that starts in us from when we're little, it, 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 it hinders us along the way of Christianity. And at some point, we like have to deal with this, this issue, this, this works-based issue that, that finds its way into every church. This church is no different. Every church, every church struggles with works-based faith. Does faith produce works? Yes, but works do not save you. Works do not save you. Jesus just says, come, just like we are. Lay down that idea that what you do or how you behave is going to make me love you more or less and accept the grace which I offer to you freely. And what a wonderful thing. You're never going to be good enough, and it's okay. That's the, that's the promise of this. You're never going to be good enough, and it's okay. It's okay because God loves you just like you are. I like how Brennan says it, not as you should be, for none of us are as we should be. Right. So now you can walk in that forgiveness. That's what you get. The reward of the grace of God is to walk forward in forgiveness, giving less worry to mistakes. Because God's grace is big enough and God's mercy is wide enough to cover all my mistakes. From the time I said yes, come into my heart, and I came down like a beggar to him, and I stripped myself of all the pride, and I laid down and said, I bring nothing to this table. And God says, I still love you. Come to me. Follow me. Right? It's okay. I still bring nothing to the table. Well, Pastor Jim, you pastor, and we, you know, this church, I bring nothing to the table. God brings everything. I ain't cooked the meal. I ain't brought the food. I ain't set the table. God did it all. He does it all. When we realize this, when we fully surrender to the love of God, then Jesus begins to overwhelm us into change. We change. There's no way around that part. But it's through love. Love changes us. Forgiveness changes us. We change without even realizing it. And this is the transformation power that's talked of of the Holy Spirit at work in a believer. <clears throat> this is return. Where we can testify and bear witness of the life-changing power of Jesus Christ. Where we become a physical witness for the world to see that Jesus lives in me. And that I am the church of God. Not this building not all the buildings with fancy names, fancy hashtags, and all this other cool stuff. You are the church of God. And the church goes where you go. Oh, this brick and mortar will die. The trees will fall. It'll probably be, they'll, they'll figure out a way like Dallas to concrete this whole area. It'll all go away. But the church of God will never go away as long as there's people. It cannot die. Oh, they complain today because churches that after like one or two generations, they die off. Can I tell you, you know, a good story. You ever watch the, the Nature Channel or any of that stuff? BBC is always doing this great stuff, Planet Earth, all this stuff. One time on Planet Earth, I'm watching the Amazon. The great thing about the Amazon, it's full of trees. Full of trees. You know that there's really, where there's a bulk of trees, not too many saplings can grow. Because those trees block out all the light. 
So they just kind of sit there, kind of stunted in growth until one of those giants fall. And then it's a race for two or three of them to the top. And they get their chance. And then they'll die. And then others will get their chance. Nothing dies in the church. The church never dies. These buildings will go away and some pastors will come in long after us. And the church will still be here. She'll always be here because she's in you. As long as Jesus is here, she's in you. This is the power of God, right? It's in me. I carry Jesus with me. I make the church everywhere I go because all I will ever need is in the fullness of Jesus. This I carry within the confines of this earthen vessel. So let me close like this. What should we take away from this? Well, that's really up to you. What does God say in your heart? I can't know, right? I mean, that's the whole thing about this. Only Jesus is like the surgeon. I can't pull out the scalpel and say, this is it, this is it. Yeah, I'm going to touch on some things at times that are going to bend you and break you. Praise God. That means you're human, right? That means you still got a heart that cares, right? Right? So how, how is God leading you through his word this morning? Because that's what's going to be most important here. What is God saying to you? If spirit begets spirit, then what is the spirit of God witnessing right now to your spirit? Do you have lines in your life that you can't cross? I don't know what those are. Only you do. Like hopefully you're like making middle notes of like what that is. God might not be asking you, listen, because he he might not be asking you to give that up this morning. I'm not going to like, hey, we're going to have an altar call. You're giving up your lines today. Like whatever that is, that's we're we're, I'm like, we're going to get a scalpel. We're cutting that thing out right now. No, no, no. That's for God to do. God will address that with you when it's time for God to address that with you. Right? Nobody's just what I'm if I'm not struggling with something that somebody else is, I'm not better. I had, well, it's just because I've come farther in Christ. No, because that wasn't as big a thing for me as it was for them, obviously. I have other big things in my life I'm still trying to get over. I ain't got time to judge. I'm too busy working on me. Well, whatever those lines are, you better start making middle notes now because if you think God's not coming for them, oh, think again. God wants all of you. He wants all of your heart. Not some of you. Oh, he's patient and he's a gentleman and he'll wait. But God wants it. One day it's coming. Will you leave everything behind socially and culturally to follow him? Will you become sold out? Will you be able to lay these things down that you possess? Or will your possessions end up possessing you? You've got a lot to pray about this week. That's that's a lot to give to you, really. I really think it is. I mean, like... This is, a, this is a powerful set of scriptures. Uh, for one thing, this is not, it's easier for me as a pastor to get up to you and go, quit doing dumb stuff. <laughs> you know, don't be bad, be good, you know, stuff like that. It's easier for me to get up here and say to this, what's hard about this scripture, this scripture says, yeah, you're good, so what? Yeah, you behave awesome, so what? That's what it says, repent. Repent if you think that somehow makes you better. Repent if somehow you think that it earned you eternal eternal heaven, you know, eternal life. That's what it's saying. It's not just, hey, if you're bad, you should repent. It's like, listen, if you think being good is what's going to get you there, you should repent too. 
this is a this is definitely a call out not to like he's not talking to the person who doesn't know anything. He's talking to the guy who's trying in the church to be good and to be seen as good and be looked upon as good and be favorable. And he's trying to have wisdom uh, and he's he's enjoying the 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 where wisdom and his behavior has gotten him because it's it's obviously made him successful in life. But what God is trying to tell him is what made you successful in life is not what grants you eternal life. That's a hard message. That's a hard message. So wherever it takes you this morning, here's the thing. We're getting ready for worship, and we're going to come up. We sing our songs. You know how you do? When we're singing, this is your time, man. This is the time where you, if you need to lock down and not sing for a second, it's okay. Like if you need to, like, Lord, evaluate my heart. Like seek within me, Lord. Is that where I become, if I become to this place? Are there things in my life, God, that I'm tripping over? I mean, you know, <clears throat> I always said I want to be a dead man living more than a living man that's dead. A dead man living pretty much has nothing. Even the clothes on a dead man is not really good. But you know why dead men don't care? Because a dead man don't care about reputations. I constantly want to get to the place where I'm never hurt. You know why? Because dead people don't have feelings. But I'm alive in Christ. All I care about is what Christ thinks about. All I care is what Christ wants. What is Christ asking of me? What is Christ doing to me? What does Christ need from me? You need me to say something, Lord, I'll say it. You need me to go somewhere, Lord, I'll go. Lord, you need me to drop everything I have right now and just do it, I'll do it. It's hard to do. I'm not going to say it's easy. When we first came out here and we made the sacrifice of leaving uh, um, Tara where we're from and leaving my job, which was really good, and coming down here, uh, we laugh about it now because my wife cried, oh, we're going to be poor, all this stuff. You know, we laugh about it now, but the truth of the matter is, hardest decision I ever make is for God to say, I need you to give up all this. There's a place I need you to go. And can I t- I'm telling you from experience, he is worth it. This life is worth it. I, have, I am the fortunate one because I get to stand on my, you know what my testimony is when I go back up? That I have a family here that God gave me that loves me and cares for me. When I get to preach up in Terrell at the old church uh, with Pastor Harris, Mike, I brag on you how God has been so faithful to send me the greatest adventure of my life. No regrets. No regrets. And God wants that for you. What did he tell the young man? Leave it all. Follow me. Oh, you know why you're going to have many houses? Because you're going to stay in many. <laughs> but you'll have many friends. You know what you get to carry to heaven? What do we say in here all the time? Relationships. All your investments will be gone tomorrow. Everything you physically and tangibly own. But your relationships, you get to take those to heaven. You better make as many as you can before you go. That way, when you get to heaven, it's going to be a friendly place in your neighborhood. You'll know a lot of people. Be a-